0: Morning. 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 All right, this is the third part in a series called Intentional. Today's topic is intentional discipleship. Um, the first thing I'm gonna do is point out that I preached a sermon very similar to this one about fourteen months ago. Okay, this was a what I'm about to preach to you is a four point sermon. I made all four of these points on March eighth of last year. So one might wonder, Mario, why are you repeating yourself? and here's why. March 8th was about one week before the White House declared 15 days to slow the spread of COVID-19, and church attendance had already begun to decline at that point, point. and those of you who were here, I think, basically had no chance to apply it. Um, it was a sermon about Christians being involved in each other's lives and relating to each other, and that we need mentors in our lives, and we need to mentor other people, and after I preached it, eight days later, everybody was confined to their houses for weeks, and so... I was happy with this sermon, but I just felt like no one got a chance to do it. So um, I would like to reintroduce these truths to us, and I hope that this is a more opportune time for us to actually apply it. And so I have four points this morning. They're going to come up on the screen. I'll just give it to you right at the beginning. This is what I'm going to tell you. Okay? The four points are, there are supposed to be mentors who you imitate. Number two, more mature Christians are supposed to mentor less mature Christians. Number three, you are not supposed to remain immature. And number four, Christianity. Thank you. And number four, Christianity involves passing down the faith from one generation to another. And then you can see after each one of these points, there is a scripture passage. Those are the four scripture passages that we're going to learn this morning as we learn these four points. So let me um, let me pray real quick. God, I believe that you are in control of all things. I do not believe that the pandemic happened outside of your control and outside of your governance and your permission. And so for whatever reason, we learned these things 14 months ago and didn't get a chance very much to do them. And and you, get, you have the right to do whatever you want. And That could happen again this time for all I know. Um, but I ask you for the opportunity for us to hear these words and understand them and apply them and that we would apply them by the power of your gracious spirit, not just by us using our own effort, but that you would be the one who would animate us to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, point number one. There are supposed to be mentors who you imitate. For this, I'll just read to you Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you, As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to this group of Christians, and this is one of the instructions he gives them toward the end of the letter. After he's made all of his main points, he says this. He says, remember your leaders. They're supposed to pay attention to their spiritual leaders. That's what he tells them to do. And and the reason I say spiritual leaders is not just any leaders. He says, remember your leaders. Which leaders? These are church leaders, these are Christian leaders that he's referring to. How do you know he's referring to Christian leaders? Because he doesn't just say, remember your leaders. He says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. He's saying, there are people who teach you God's word. You need to pay attention to them. There are people who have shared the gospel with you. And the reason that you're a Christian is because they're the ones that taught you about Jesus. Remember them. And then he says, and as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, like pay attention to the, how they live and then imitate their faith. So there are Christian leaders who are imitatable and that's what they're supposed to do. Now some of these leaders, it's possible, and if you read a commentary on this, they might say this, um, it's possible that some of these leaders were dead by the time this was written because it says to remember them, right? And so you can remember someone who has passed on. You can remember, like someone could give instruction about a prior generation and go, hey, remember the godly people who followed Jesus and told us about Jesus, the ones that came before us, like we need to walk in their footsteps. But I don't think all of these leaders were dead at the time that this was written because 10 verses later, I think it's the same word that's used, 10 verses later in verse 17, you don't have it back there, don't panic. Um, <clears throat> 10 verses later in verse 17, they are, these same people are told, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So obviously you cannot submit to dead people. So some of these people are alive and they're saying, okay, so pay attention, these people who have taught you About Jesus, you need to carefully observe their lives and then you imitate them. So there are supposed to be mentors who you listen to and imitate. Now, that's a basic truth, and I think when it's phrased that way, it's pretty much non controversial, right? There's supposed to be mentors that you listen to and imitate. But I want you to notice what is implied here that not all Christians are on the same level, right? It doesn't say, remember everybody and carefully observe everybody, okay, and imitate everybody's faith specifically there are people who have spoken the word of god to them those leaders are the people they're supposed to observe their lives and imitate their faith not all christians are on the same level and when you say it that way people begin to push back sometimes and they go well no <laughs> okay there are not different levels right all christians are the same right and we are all equally important and i would say to you first of all yes we are all equally important but we are not all equally mature and some people will say, well, no, I don't need to imitate anyone else, imitate someone else. No, I need to be me, especially in our culture, right? I don't need to be like her, I don't need to be like him, I need to be me. That, I mean, I feel like that is the big mantra in our culture right now. I, just, I need to be more like me, I don't need to imitate someone else. Why would I need to look up to and imitate someone else? No, the same Holy Spirit that lives in them is the same Holy Spirit that lives in me, and I don't need to listen to them or imitate them. And what I would say to you is, first of all, it is correct, the same Holy Spirit is in both you and them, because there's only one Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean the same amount of wisdom is in both you and them. And if you start to weight everyone equally, if you start to go, well, every lifestyle and every opinion of every Christian is to be weighted equally, you're going to come up with some trouble, because there are certain lifestyles we are to observe and imitate, not all. And so we cannot just wait every single Christian life and Christian opinion and Christian lifestyle the same. If you do that, you're going to come up with problems. Here's an example. Let's say you're someone who attends Good News Church, and you you sign up to join a community group. And your community group that you, they, they meet on Thursdays, and there's 10 other people in the group. And there you are. And you show up, and you've been going, and you're liking it, and they're nice. And there they are, the 10 of them. And one day, you have like a situation that you don't exactly know what to do, and you decide... I'm going to ask my community group what they think I ought to do about this. So you show up and you ask them. You say, hey, what do I ought to do? And I'll just make up a situation. Let's say you say this. You say, hey, um, I am living with my girlfriend. I've been sleeping with my girlfriend. We've been together now for a couple of years. Um, We started this whole living together, sleeping together thing back before we were Christians. Then I started attending Good News Church, and I understood the gospel, and I became a Christian, and she became a Christian. And then someone told us we were in sin. And so now... I wanted to know like, what do, what do I do? Because like we we're already together and we already kind of started this. In fact, we can't afford two different rent payments. So like we thought about that. Well, what if we don't live together until we're married? But we can't afford to live separately from one another. So what should we do? And imagine in that group of 10 people, imagine six of them say, oh, whoa, that's tough. Yeah. Cause I mean, you already started it, you know, before you were even a Christian, you didn't know better. And you know, and I mean, you can't afford two different rent payments, right? I mean, that makes sense. You can't even afford it. And if, you know, stop sleeping together, you can't unring that bell. I mean, you know, that's just going to be a, you know, I understand that. And I just, I don't know what you can do. That's kind of a, you're just in a tough spot. I guess you got to, you know, hopefully God just looks down and goes, well, that's complex. And he just sort of understands, I guess. And then imagine, imagine if four of the people out of the 10 all say, oh, no, no, no. There's never a time that you should say it's too expensive to be holy. Okay, it would be much better for you to find somebody who is willing to take you in and just live with them for a while until you two can get married. Now, here's the thing. If you believe that all Christian opinions are all to be weighted equally, what are you going to do? You're going to look and you're going to go, well, I guess I I go with the six over the four, right? Every vote's equal. You're going to look at the situation and you're going to go, most of my Christian friends are saying this. So I guess I'll go with this. But could it be? that the reason the six people agree with one another is because they are immature in their faith and don't understand what the Bible says about this particular situation. Could it be that the four people who agree with each other agree with each other because they are mature Christians who understand the Bible and how it intersects to real life? Could that be? It could be, yes. And so that's why this idea that everyone gets an equal vote and all opinions and all lifestyles are to be weighted equally is not something the Bible assumes. Hebrews 13.7 does not say to remember everybody equally and observe the outcome of everybody's lives and try to imitate every Christian. No, there are some people who are supposed to be listened to and imitated more than others. That's very basic, very foundational, important for us to get to. So that's point number one. You're supposed to have mentors who you listen to and imitate. Number two, more mature Christians are supposed to mentor less mature Christians. For this, we'll go to Titus Chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Great little passage here. It says, But you must say the things that are consistent with sound teaching. And just so you know, this is a letter that was written by a guy named the Apostle Paul, and he was writing it to a guy named Titus. So the Apostle Paul is actually like an authority, is higher rank than Titus. He is someone who is, who is telling Titus how he is supposed to run this church of people on this island called Crete. So there he is, and he's saying, Titus, this is what you need to do. He, he's, th- this, the letter of Titus is really a, a, an older, more mature Christian coaching a younger one. This is what you need to do with the people. And so this is what he says. He says, you must say the things that are consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be level-headed, Worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. And in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women. So who's the they there? You guys remember? Yeah, the older women, because it's a pronoun, so sometimes we've got to remember. Who is it that's supposed to encourage the young women? The older women are supposed to encourage the younger women. They're supposed to teach them what? What? So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, homemakers, kind, and submissive to their husbands, so that God's message will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. So first thing I will point out in this passage, and hopefully you saw it, is there was this expectation that the older women would mentor the younger women. Did you see that? The older women are supposed to teach the younger women certain things. Now, in this particular passage, that's, it specifically says it to the females. The older women need to, be, um, they need to teach what is good and encourage the young women to, and then it lists the things. So, does this mean that the idea of mentoring, the idea that, that these people who are more mature would mentor the people who are less mature, is that just a female thing? Because right? it says young, old women, young women. Is it just a female thing? And the answer would be no. Um, even though this passage doesn't specifically link the old men and the young men in the same verse, I think that you still see that the same ideas here, in fact, this, as I said already, this letter is written um, from a man to another man, coaching him on how he is supposed to handle the situations in his church, and then he tells that man in verse 6, encourage the young men to be, be," why does it say sensible? I got self-controlled. We need to change that for the second service. Okay, so... (laughs) Um, I'm guessing it's a Greek word that can be translated either way. Um, so, um, so he tells the young men to be sensible about everything. Um, make your, make your, and then he says, make yourself, this is now Titus again, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. So you've got a guy telling another guy, this is how you do it. And the thing that he's telling that guy to do is be a role model to the people who are under his care. Does that make sense? So it's not just a woman thing, right? It's a man thing and a woman thing. This is a every single Christian thing. Um, More mature Christians are supposed to mentor less mature Christians. Now, as we looked at this passage, um, you may have noticed that there are some countercultural things in it. Did you catch that the first time around when I read it? Nobody caught it? Okay, we got a woman over there that caught it. Thank you. Um, I I, I guess depending on how sensitive you are, some of the, the... phrases in this passage may have jumped out to you more so than other ones okay that as i read this out loud there may have been some of you that said what they got to learn how to love their children and be submissive to their husbands and be homemakers what is that like why it says that so i wanted to my my point is not really to talk about that this morning but i it's there and so i guess i should address this this is not exactly a feminist passage is it no it's not um, and in fact, it might seem like an unfair passage, especially if you, if you study it pretty good, you might come to the conclusion that this is not fair. And the reason I would say it's not fair is as I was studying it uh, last year around this time, um, I noticed something. The older women are told to teach the younger women seven things, okay? They were to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to, here it is, love their husbands, love their children, be self-controlled, pure, homemakers, kind and submissive to their husbands, right? It's a list of seven things so that God's message will not be slandered. Right, that's what the young women are supposed to learn. Then the very next verse tells, says what to teach the young men. Did you catch it? Look at verse 6. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. End of sentence. <laughs> well, that's not fair. The young women are given a list of seven things that they're supposed to do and the young men get one thing on their list? be self-controlled. That's it. That's the one thing you do on your list. And, and to be honest, if you look, the one thing that's on the young men's list is on the woman's list. Did you catch it? They, the, the women are supposed to be self-controlled and six other things. And the men were told to be self-controlled. So I pointed this out to my wife. I said, this was last year. I said to my wife, I said, look at this. I said, Paul's talking to Titus. And when he tells the young women what they're supposed to do, there's seven things. And then the guy, it's just one thing. And it's one of the things that the women were supposed to do. And my wife responded almost without even thinking. This is what just came right out of her. She said, maybe God was giving each group what they could handle. (laughs) I love her. All right, for this morning, um, I don't want to get sidetracked by diving really deep into the topic of men's roles and women's roles within the church, okay? Um, I really want to focus on the main topic of this sermon, which is discipleship. However, since we've come across this very countercultural passage, let me just make three or four real quick comments while we're on the topic, and then I want to go right back to our main topic, which is discipleship. But there's some things I wrote down as I was thinking about this. First of all, um, I want you to notice that most of the commands that are given here to the young wives and the young mothers um, are not unique to females. Most of the things that they are taught to do, men are also responsible to do in other places in the Scripture. So when you look at it and it says um, they are supposed to teach the women to love their husbands, The idea that you must love your spouse is not a specifically female thing. It's not like the position of the Bible is females need to love their spouses, okay? but men do whatever. No, the Bible also says that husbands are supposed to love their wives, not in this particular passage, but certainly in the rest of the New Testament, um, Ephesians 5 being the most famous one. right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the idea that you must love your spouse is actually not unique um, to women. Um, Same thing for pure and kind, the fact that they are to be pure and kind, that is not unique to women. Christian men are also supposed to be pure and kind. Even this word homemakers, which is interesting, I looked it up, and the word homemakers comes from, like in the original language that it's translated from, it's a word that means a keeper at home or a worker at home, someone who works at home. So apparently the young women are supposed to work in their homes, I assume having to do with like the raising of their children. However, this idea that you must work at your home and dealing with your family life, there is overlap between that and the role of husband and father. That's not even a uniquely womanly thing either. Like when you look in the New Testament, um, fathers are told to parent their children. In fact, in Colossians and Ephesians, I believe in both of those places, Paul, I think, only tells the fathers. He tells the fathers that it's their responsibility to raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So parenting children is not just a woman thing. According to the Bible, it's both the mom and the dad that are supposed to work in their home raising their children. And then if you go to 1 um, Timothy and you look at the qualifications for elders, the qualifications for elders in First Timothy, it, first of all, elder in First Timothy is a male role. That's the way that Paul talks about it. And yet, as he talks about these male um, leaders in the church, one of the qualifications for them is that they are supposed to be good managers of their house. So there's obviously a certain amount of working at home that they are responsible to do. And so even the working at home thing is not exclusively um, a woman thing. So most of these commands are not unique to wives. Some of these commands, at least one of them, are unique to wives. And that is the one that says to be submissive to their husbands. The Bible um, talks about Christians in general submitting to one another. Um, and then there are specific times, I think it's four specific times in the New Testament, where it says for wives to submit to their husbands. The reverse is never true. There's not any specific passage that says husbands submit to their wives. There seems to be something unique there in the wife-husband relationship as to who the head of the household is. So some of these, most of these commands are not unique to wives. At least one of them is. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, and I just think this is important for any time you come across a difficult portion of Scripture. Do not immediately jump to... Well, this passage has nothing to do with me. I think that sometimes we do this. I think I have met a lot of Christians who would say, I don't know what this passage means, except that I know that it does not mean I need to change anything about my life. Okay? That, that we'll read a passage, and you, you, maybe you've heard people talk like this, that you, they'll look, read something and go, oh, that's tough. I don't even know what they're saying there exactly. I don't know the historical stuff going on, and I don't understand the cultural context, and I don't know the Greek words. And I don't even want to know the Greek words. Okay? All I know is I don't know what this passage means except that I know that it means I don't need to change anything. Right? And, and I'm, I'm not just talking to women here. I want to be really clear. I'm talking to everybody here. None of us should approach Scripture like that if we believe that it's God's Word. To come across a section that's difficult and say, I don't know for sure. All I know is it could not possibly mean anything different than what I already believe. That is not the way we approach God's word. We are to conform to it, not make it conform to what we have already believed before we came to it. Okay, last comment on this is, if you are here this morning and you are a young woman and you would like to know more specifics about what it looks like to be a godly young woman, I would advise you to do what is implied in this passage. You want to know what it is? Go find some godly older women and ask them. Right? If you're sitting there going, well, what is the, what are the, how do, how do you do this? Find some godly older women and ask them. Okay, tangent over. Back to our main topic. None of that gender stuff is why I picked this passage. The reason I picked this passage is I wanted you to see that there is an expectation in Scripture that more mature Christians are supposed to mentor less mature Christians. I wanted you to see that it was in there. I wanted you to see that it was instructed and expected and that that idea goes all the way back to very, very early on in the Christian church. All right, number three. Point number three. You are not supposed to remain immature. You are not supposed to remain immature. This is so important. I think this might be the most important point of the four points. This one's such a big deal. Let me show you Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. The writer of Hebrews, writing to these Christians, says, We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Now, the this is the stuff he had just been saying. The writer had just been talking about this Old Testament character named Melchizedek and talking about this connection between this priest in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, and Jesus. And as he's talking about that topic, he says, actually, i got a whole lot more to say, but it's hard to understand, and y'all are so lazy, you're not even going to get it if I explain it. Why? And this is what he says. He says, although by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. One thing we see in this passage, it matches what we've already said, that not every Christian is on the same level, There are mature and immature. There are people who need milk, and there are people who are on solid food. But the thing that I really want to focus on in looking at this passage is the first half of verse 12. Right after he says, you've become too lazy to understand, he says, although by this time you ought to be teachers. And then he goes on and and talks about the rest of the passage. But this little clause here, I think it is very significant. It assumes a truth that is very significant. He's saying, although by this time you ought to be teachers, and he goes on and says you're not and you need milk and all that. But the idea is there comes a time where you ought to have been a certain amount of mature. It's not just like, oh, different people mature. No, it's actually, it's connected to time, that there's a certain amount of time that after that amount of time, it would be ridiculous for you to have to still be um, on milk. You should be a teacher. You should be someone who's taking someone under your wing by this time. The idea is that there's a, I guess what I'm saying is there's multiple verses in the Bible that talk about mentoring and growth and change. This is the only one that I'm aware of in the scripture that comes with a time expectation. That it's not just, hey, you need to mature, but you need to mature at, at the appropriate rate it would not be acceptable to get, to after a certain amount of time, to go, well, that's where you're at. At this time, you ought to be a teacher. You should be helping others, considering how much time has passed. And so this is, there's the idea that it's not just you need to grow and you need to change and everybody's kind of got their own rate. Like, apparently, there's a certain amount of time that if that much passes and you still haven't matured, it's a problem. You are. This is the way I wrote it in my notes. You are not supposed to remain immature for a long time. And yet, I would say there are lots of people in like modern-day American Christianity who have no problem with the idea that Christians would remain immature for years and years. You've got people who would say, and maybe, you, maybe you've been in these conversations where you, you say to some, I mean, someone who's been a Christian for years, and you would say, like, why did you just say that? That's not even what we believe. And then they would go, well, I never said I was a good Christian, Right? And they just slough it off like that's, a, that's the excuse, right? Well, I never said I was a good Christian, you know? I'm just a regular Christian. Why are you expecting me to be like a, a good one? Well, you've been a Christian for years. Yeah, but I've never said I was a good Christian, okay? I, there was one time some guy, some guy who'd been a Christian for years, he said, I don't claim to be a holy Joe, all right? And I don't even know what a holy Joe is, but I assume it's a holy person, and the idea is, hey, well, this is the way I'm living my life. Well, why are you living that my life? Well, I never claimed to be a good Christian. I never claimed to be a holy Joe. What are we supposed to even say to that? Oh, I'm sorry. You never claimed to be a holy Joe. I didn't, I didn't realize you never claimed to be a good Christian. I guess by not claiming it, that releases you from all responsibility to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? He's the king of the universe, but if you don't want to do what he says, I mean, I guess that's fine, because after all, you never claimed to be a good Christian, Right? No, it is very possible that you should have been a Holy Joe two or three years ago. And this is something that I think all of us actually just, we understand this in the natural world. All of us just understand this intuitively when it comes to the physical world, and we just don't think it applies to the spiritual world. But when it comes to our physical life, we understand that there's, after a certain amount of time, if a certain amount of maturity has not happened, it's concerning, I have a relative who, like, there, I, don't, I don't know if there's a name for this as far as like a medical condition, but his body matured much slower than all of the other kids in his grades. And so he just, his, as, as he was getting older, his body was not growing and he was not turning into, into an adult like everybody else was. And so much so that if you look at his um, yearbook and you look at his senior picture in the yearbook, he looks like he's about 13 years old in his senior, in his senior photo. And it was, you know, it was problematic for him. I, if I remember right, I think that he would tell stories about how when he was 16 and he was driving, he would get pulled over, okay? Because you can imagine, if you're a police officer and you're there um, you know, at a red light and you look over and it appears that there's a 12-year-old driving the car next to you, you pull that guy over, right? And then he would show his driver's license and they would let him go. But I think there was a point where he's going, wow, I'm 17 and I look like I'm 12. What do we do, Mom? What do we do, Dad? And so I think they took him to the doctor because it was a concerning thing. And they asked the doctor, is there anything we're doing wrong? What can we do? This seems like a problem, right? And he turned out fine. Um, I think he actually just was a super late bloomer. I think he went through puberty at like 19, 20 years old. If I remember right, I think by the time he was 22, he looked like a normal adult and still looks like a normal adult to today. But there was a point where they didn't know that was going to happen and they were concerned. Why is this happening so much slower than everyone else? Isn't this a problem? And what I'm trying to say to you is, that is happening in the Christian church, and nobody's panicking. Everybody's acting like it's normal. I believe that that's probably happening in this church, where people have been Christians for 10 years, and they are still acting like and talking the way they did when they had been a Christian for one year, and no one's calling the doctor, and nobody's concerned. You are not supposed to remain immature. We need to take seriously the truth that is just assumed in this phrase. Although by this time, you ought to be teachers. Point number four. Christianity involves passing down the faith from one generation to another. Christianity involves passing down the faith from one generation to another. This is 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. I want to read to you. This is Paul. This time, instead of talking to Titus, he's talking to a guy named Timothy. And he says, And what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want you to notice there are four generations of discipleship in that verse. Okay, you have, And what you have heard from me, so that's the first two. So the me there is Paul. And Paul has taken under his wing and taught truth to the you in this passage, which is Timothy, right? So Timothy has heard from Paul, and what Timothy is supposed to do with the truth that he got from Paul is he's supposed to commit it to faithful men. That's the third generation. So generation number one is Paul. He taught Timothy generation number two. Timothy is supposed to teach faithful men, but what's interesting, it's not just teach faithful men, it's teach to faithful men who will be able to teach Others also. That's the fourth generation. Paul is saying, "I taught you stuff that you need to teach to people who will teach to people." And I want to read you a quote that um, I actually just read this quote to you a couple of months ago, back during the Proverbs series. But I do not have a better one on this topic. It's so good, I'm using it again. This is uh, Vodibakam, is the guy who wrote this. He is the dean of a Christian college in Zambia, Africa, and this is what he says. He says, "We exist not just to make disciples." but to make disciple-making disciples. When it comes to spreading the gospel and handing it down to the next generation, you are not the last link in the chain. You are just the next link in the chain. Every generation is the next link in the chain. And the people who invested in us did not do so simply for our good. They did it so that we would pass along what was given to us, and we invest in others so that they will pass along what was given to them. And so I would like to challenge those of you who are in this room who have been Christians for years but aren't discipling others. If you're someone in this room and you've been a Christian for years but you aren't pouring your life into this next generation, you are not discipling others, I just want to challenge you to figure out why that's true. And then once you figure out why, take responsibility to remove that obstacle, if you can. Because you're not supposed to be the last link in the chain. You're the next link in the chain. What a responsibility. What a privilege. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I do pray that this time we as a church would be able to apply it It was very difficult last time to do this, but I pray that we would be able to apply this. I pray that you would be the one who applies this to our church's life and that we would do our part. I pray that you would help those of us who have been Christians for a while to figure out ways we are able to help someone who's coming along behind us or to figure out what it is that's preventing that. I pray that um, for those of us who are maybe fairly new to the faith, that we would do our part in like, seeking out maturity and not just expecting someone to come along and take us under their wing, but realize like we need to pursue this. And so I just I pray that you would make us into a church of people. Make, make us into a, a disciple-making church, a discipleship church. And we humbly ask for that. And we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you for grace. And we thank you that we don't have to disciple and then become some level of mature so that you will then one day go, okay, and now I will accept you into my kingdom. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.